And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is the Reverend Rick Anderson. He's a senior missionary with HIM and a ordained minister of Word and Sacrament with the Stratford Presbyterian Church. Reverend Anderson, it's an honor to have you on the air with us today. Well, it's great to be here too, Dan. Thank you. I follow some of your work from afar, (laughs) and I know you have a committed heart to evangelism, and one area that I'm almost afraid of at times, you know, is how do you share the gospel with Muslims? And I, I know that you've discussed that a little bit in writing. I think you've done some of it. And uh, maybe you could begin today talking about evangelism, and in particular, um, how do we strike up a, a believable and a good and a healthy dialogue with our Muslim friends? Well, Dan, the key to it is to act friendly, to be a friend. Yeah. Um, in the Bible, when St. Paul approached the pagan Greeks, and it's in Acts chapter 17, uh, what he did was, now, he knew something about their culture, and he built a bridge with them. He came to them with goodwill. He came to them with uh, a care for their welfare, and they could see that in his approach. And then he quoted from their poets. See, the key is to know something about the culture you're talking to. He said, uh, in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. And when he said that to them, they knew he knew something about their culture, and they gave him an audience. And the key is, when you speak to Muslims, as well as Jews or anyone, the key is to know something about their culture, and know what it is in their culture that does reflect God's glory. Even in, in wrong religion. The glory of God is reflected in them, as you could see from the pagan uh, Greek uh, culture. And the same could be said with Islam. Now, the Quran says certain things about Jesus that are, in fact, true. Most of it, a lot of it is false. But they call him the Son of God. They say he was born a virgin. And they call him one of the greatest of the prophets. And what the Holy Spirit is able to do and has done is he has used these statements in the Quran to draw certain Muslims to himself where they say, well, I want to learn more about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And so it's important for uh, anyone who wants to, to have a dialogue with a Muslim friend to know something about Islam. And the other important thing is that when you speak to Muslims, know that Islam is not a monolithic religion. They all don't believe the same thing, believe it or not. I have spoken to, now, now I have an outreach to Jewish people. When I go on uh, a college campus or when I speak in Center City, Philadelphia, I'm looking to uh, speak to not only, not only uh, Jews but everybody, but um, my specialty is talking to Jewish people. But the funny thing is, is I've run into many more Muslims and I found that their belief system is not strictly according to to what the Quran says. Mm -hmm. In other words, a lot of Muslims will say, uh, I'm a Muslim, and then I'll ask them as an individual, uh, well, what do you believe? And they'll tell me stuff that uh, I know is not 
strictly in Islam, but nonetheless, they culturally identify themselves as Muslim. And so it's important when you talk to people to treat everybody as an individual and let them educate you as to what they personally believe about God. And you'd be surprised. You really would. I think that's uh, wonderful guidance. People sense right away whether we like them, whether we're um, there batting for them, as it were, and have their best interest in view, or whether we're trying to poke them in the eye <laughs> with a right. point of view that, that is offensive to them. They, they, they catch on to that right away. You recently had an evangelistic outreach, I believe, in Philadelphia. Can you share a little bit how that went? Yeah, uh, Chaim Ministry to the Jewish People has, uh, usually they have summer outreaches. Uh, this year we're having two major ones. We just had an outreach at um, in Center City, uh, the Independence Week outreach that was uh, right around July 4th. And my partner in ministry, Reverend Fred Klett, he uh, spoke to, I think, at least two Israelis and at least two other American Jewish people. Uh, no, I'm, I have to correct myself. I think they were actually Russian Jews. Mm-hmm. So two Israelis, two Russian Jews, who gave Fred uh, their contact information for further discussion. So that was good. Oh, yeah. Aside from, uh, see, see, he had his separate team, Reverend Vitaly Kalinowski, who also works with us. He also works among Russian Jews, and I had uh, my separate team. And uh, my team, actually, we spoke to a, a couple of Jews, but basically we had, let me see, we had three people make professions of faith in Christ. Mm, wonderful. Um, so that was all the way to praying the salvation prayer, the prayer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and about, and and three more who were very close to the kingdom. One of, one of them was a, um, a Hindu Muslim lady who knew nothing about the gospel, and she went all the way up to, would you like to receive Christ as Lord and Savior? Mm. And she said, she, she said yes, but she sounded a bit hesitant, so I didn't want to push it. I mean, we're not, sales, we're not salesmen here. So um, we, uh, we took her, her contact information, we exchanged contact information, because she said, I think I need to talk to you further about it, which, which is great. That's fine, because it's, it's someone who knew nothing about the gospel to someone who is, uh, is fully informed about, uh, about the gospel. And so, so that, was, that, that was good. And uh, so that's, just, that's what happened. I don't recall speaking to any Muslims on this outing, but the next, the next evangelistic outreach we're going to have is, at, believe it or not, the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, and uh, we may speak to some Muslims there. Oh, that's great. When you get to know a person, I think it's common, but maybe you can add to this, that getting to know them is, is a time-consuming thing. It, it, it may take years to get to know a person and become friends. Yeah, that's true. The, the kind of, Dan, the kind of knowledge that I'm talking about is just a street-corner knowledge. Um, the kind of evangelism we usually do is we meet total strangers on the street. Uh, we stand in a public access in a public access uh, area, a street corner, and we just we basically just get to know them on the spot. That's what I'm talking about. Now, now right. the long term follow up, of course, that's important. That's the objective of the initial meet. But the way we meet people, and not just Muslims, but people in general is we'll stand there, and we're giving out brochures. We're giving out gospel brochures, so I'll stand there, 
and I'll give out a stack of gospel brochures to people passing by, and I try and, and, and stand and, and have my people stand in a, in a heavily pedestrian area, and I'll hand out brochures, and I'll say, and when they take them, I'll say, uh, do you know what that is? Do you know what you have in your hand? So I, in other words, my objective is to strike up a conversation. And uh, some will say, well, I'll read it, or others will say, well, no, what is it? And I'll say, well, that's a gospel brochure. Do you know what the gospel is? <laughs> and, uh, and then the discussion proceeds from there. Many of them say, yeah, I know what it, what it is. I went to Catholic school. Or, yeah, I know what it is. I go to church. And then I'll, I'll start asking them, uh, see, I, I want to get to know these people a little, a little better. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a tract dispenser, you know? No, right. They could put machines out there and do that. But my purpose is to get in a conversation, and I follow, uh, this works for me, and it can maybe help others. I follow an acrostic, uh, F-O-R-M, uh, family, occupation, recreation, and the message. So, now, I don't want to probe, I don't want to act like I'm nosy, so I'll say, oh, yeah, uh, fa- let me see, family, oh, yeah, family, um, my wife, uh, my wife and I go to Philadelphia all the time. We like uh, some great restaurants here, you know. And if the person is in any ways uh, social, or if that person has some time, I'll say, "Oh yeah, yeah." Well, my wife as well. You know, there's a, uh, people tend to reciprocate when you say something that, like that. Or I'll see somebody with, with a Philly hat. Okay, family occupation. Oh, recreation. Oh yeah, the Phillies. You see them playing? They played against the Boston Red Sox. My good, hey, somebody has to root for the Phillies. It might as well be us, you know. <laughs> and, um, and and so now you have now, now they they're, they're a little bit loosened up, you know. Or then uh, let me see, F O R O occupation. So um, you know if they're wearing a hard hat or they they look like they're uh, they're you know if they're if they have a suit and tie. See, do, uh, do you work at Liberty Place or we're right? We're right here at Liberty Place. It looks like you might work inside. I mean, because I, myself, I, and I'll tell them about me before I ask about them. And, and generally, people will want to reciprocate. And by the end of this, they feel like, uh, you're not too weird. And, uh, you know, maybe you're uh, somebody that uh, they want to talk to a little bit more. And then, let's see, F-O-R-M. So then I'll say well, this. I'll, I'll say this. Wait, you know, I'm a... I'm a minister, and what I do out here with my friends is we're sharing the gospel with people, and when people stop, I like to ask them this question, and everyone answers differently. And what I do is I use the evangelism explosion questions that were popularized by the evangelism explosion course, Dr. D. James Kennedy's course. Oh, yeah. And I have, it, I have these questions written down on a brochure, but I know them also by heart, and I'll say... Well, let me ask you something, uh, Ahmed, or Abdul, or, or Frank, it doesn't matter. Uh, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you should die tonight, God forbid, if you, if you should die tonight, that you would go to the good place and not the bad place? Yeah. And then I wait for an answer, and then I'll ask the same. See, evangelism explosion has these two diagnostic questions. This, the second one is, is just a restatement of the first. And then I'll say, well, let me ask you something, um, Frank, Abdul, whatever, Muhammad. Um, if you stood before God and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him in that day? And then I wait for an answer. And then, if they're in any way conversational, I'll ask the third EE question, which is, uh, 
would you mind if I share with you what the scriptures say about that? Mm-hmm. And some of them say yes, especially people from a non-Christian culture who know nothing about the gospel, and, uh, and, and that's where, where I get into that with them. Now, the distinction I want to make, though, uh, Dan, is I'm just talking on this segment about witnessing to Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough information out there that talks about the actual threat that this religion is to Western uh, culture. It indeed is a threat, and it has to be it has to be treated as such. Now, what that means is, you see, I'm going to get a little bit into into Islam. Just because Islam is a violent religion doesn't mean all Muslims are violent. In fact, in America, most of them are not. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is, most Muslims in America, they just follow the five surahs, the five uh, disciplines that they're supposed to do, the five pillars of Islam, uh, which are uh, prayer, fasting, the pilgrimage to Mecca, the tithe, and I, there's one other, and it escapes my mind right now. But but all they want to do is just live and let live, and, and you know, they, they just want to be left alone, and, and, and that's Islam to them. But there is enough in the Quran so that if someone is quite serious about his faith, he can find reasons to be violent. Mm-hmm. And and so I want to make a distinction. I don't want to talk about, about public policy towards Islam. I want to talk about witnessing to individual Muslims. And, right. and so that there, there's, a, there's a difference. Just because a religion says what it says doesn't mean all, all Muslims are, are like that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's true, but some of them are. Do you find um, areas that come up where there's common misunderstandings as to what Christians believe, and people have something already set in their mind, and yet it's not the true narrative of Christianity? Yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, Muslims bristle at the idea that Christians say that God can have a son. Mm-hmm. In their understanding, that means a son who is created in the way that you know men and women create babies. Right. And the point that we want to make with Muslims is something like this: you want to build on common ground because you could say to the to, to your to your Muslim friend, "We know, I believe the same thing that you do. I don't believe that that God uh, impregnated uh, Mary physically." And, and that he had a physical, and, and, that, and that Jesus came as a result of that. The term Son of God is used in a different way here, and you can make certain connections to say, for example, you know, in your culture, sometimes a, a leader will call a follower or a disciple my son. And he doesn't mean that I gave you birth, it means that you're my disciple. Well, and, and you could say to your Muslim friend, well, that's, that is an example of how there is a certain latitude with this word son. And when the Bible speaks of the son of God, you should understand that, that it means son in more than a strictly physical way, but a spiritual way. That's, that's one way you could reason with them. A lot of other Muslims, well, when you read the Quran, you can see, for example, that Muhammad's attack upon the doctrine of the Trinity is not an attack upon the true doctrine of the Trinity, but you can see from the way he speaks of the Trinity, it's an attack upon 
a false notion of the Trinity that was propagated in that area of Arabia around 640 A.D. See, in that part of the world, the Christian churches and the bishops would exile certain heretics, and they had all sorts of weird views about the Trinity. So when Muhammad wanted to find out what Christians believed, he most likely went to talk to these heretics who had all these weird notions about the Trinity. The Muslims understand Trinity as being three distinct gods. Sometimes in 640 AD, they were the people of Arabia who, who became followers of Muhammad. They believed also that Mary was a deity and that she was to be uh, venerated and worshipped. Why? Because all these pictures of Mary and these and these these images of Mary and the exalted, the overly exalted position that Mary uh, had with some of these uh, churches gave Muslims the the wrong impression of what the Bible says about Mary. Oh, sure, yeah. Kind of, so that's an example. Today we're talking with uh, Reverend Rick Anderson. He's an ordained evangelist, and he's a senior missionary with Hayam, which is a ministry to Jewish people. And in particular today, we're talking about um, sharing the gospel with our Muslim friends. When we first started, I, I thought it was very important that you mentioned, uh, Rick, it's, it's important to truly be friends with people. And uh, we recognize that on the street, it may be a, a quick um, meeting, greeting, exchange of information, but then oftentimes there's an opportunity for follow-up, and that's where a longer-term friendship can develop. I'm just wondering, uh, in the last five minutes remaining, would you be willing to share how it was that the Lord brought you to faith, Rick, and your own personal testimony, if you will? Yeah, sure. I came out of uh, of, uh, Judaism. And um, Jewish belief in the oneness of God and Muslim belief in the oneness of God are actually very similar. Um. I'm going to talk about coming to faith and also uh, how I came to faith, but also I'm going to make a, a segue with the uh, with witnessing the Muslims. Um, I was taught from an early age to say the the statement uh, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And uh, the way I was taught that statement, this is this is a statement that is famous in Judaism, is that God is one God, and therefore he is not three gods, and he's not a trinity. So our understanding of oneness was an absolute, indivisible unity. This is how Muslims also understand God. He is an absolute, indivisible unity. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at the scriptures, this was later after I came to faith, I saw that that word for one, echad, is a compound unity. And there's two words for one, actually, in the Hebrew Scriptures. There is the indivisible unity, which is yachid, and then there is a compound unity, echad. That word echad is used, for example, when speaking of a group, a one bunch of grapes. You can find that when, for example, uh, the, the ten spies went into the Promised Land. They took a bunch of grapes, but it was one bunch, and it was called echad. Or, for example, when Adam and Eve were one flesh... The word was echad. In the, in the Bible, when a man and woman would, would get married, they'd be called echad, not yachid. 
So there's a distinction. And when God is always referred to, he's referred to as a compound unity. And see, this is a distinction you can make with your Muslim friends. You could say, well, you know, I believe God is one, and the Bible states that he is one, but, but how does it mean one? You know, and you can get into that. Well, anyway, the way I came to face was by reading uh, Isaiah chapter 53, which is in the Jewish portion of the Bible. The Jews believe everything up to Malachi is, uh, they may not believe it's the Word of God, but they think that that, that section from Genesis to Malachi is at least, it has the, it, it, it's, it's their book. In other words, they regard it as, if not accurate, at least it, it's holy legend or pious legend. And and so I never read Isaiah chapter 53, but I read that and I said, gee, it sounds a lot like Jesus, what I heard about Jesus. Hmm. And so this wasn't just a bald intellectual decision either. When I read that, I felt the presence of God showing me indeed, yeah, this this indeed, the, the, the Jews missed it here. This is, this is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make a segue here with how I have heard Muslims come to faith. See, the Word of God works whether or not you believe it's the Word of God at the time you hear it or not. I, have, I know personally um, of Muslims who have come to faith by seeing little snippets of words in the Bible. Uh, you must be born again. I heard a testimony given at Rock of Israel Reformed Congregation in Philadelphia by uh, a Muslim young man who used to actually argue with uh, Christians about, about religion, and he responded to John 3.3, 3, you must be born again. He responded with that. That, that, wor- that verse that he didn't believe was God's Word at the time, that verse turned the light on for him. So the Holy Spirit can do this with people, and he does it. You see, they don't have uh, the idea of new birth in Islam. The Quran says, I can't quote it, uh, if I had about two minutes here to diverge from what I'm talking to you about, I could find the quote, but basically the Quran says that if you're born that way, you are that way. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you're, you're supposed to convert to Islam, but you can't change your nature according to the Quran. Um, but the Bible speaks of the, the nature of man being changed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know if, you, if you, I can I can do about a minute's worth of research, but I can find that passage, chapter and verse in the Quran that says your disposition cannot change. But take take my word for it; that's what it says. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock here, and I realize we have about one minute left. Okay. Um, can I in this one minute? Can I uh, for people listening? I'd like to I'd like to offer about three resources for people who want to learn about Islam and how to witness to Muslims. One is called. Um, a Wind in the House of Islam by uh, David Garrison. It's uh, G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. The other one is a book by uh, Bruce McDowell and Anis Zaka. These are ordained ministers in the PCA. And this book is called Muslims and Christians at the Table. And the other one is called Reaching Muslims for Christ by William J. Saul. And Saul is spelled S-A-A-L. So people can look it up in, um, on the Internet, and these are excellent source books for helping you share your faith with Muslims. Oh, that's really helpful. Uh, sure. Thank you very much. Um, our guest today has been the Reverend Rick Anderson. Uh, he is a senior missionary with Hayam, uh, which is a ministry to the Jewish people. He's an ordained evangelist in the Stratford Presbyterian Church. Uh, Rick, uh, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule and sharing with our listeners today. Uh, It's been a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. And dear listener, if you wish to get a hold of Rick, you can through this ministry by just simply sending me an email at ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. 
and we'll forward your note to Rick. And a quick reminder that this entire broadcast is up on our website as a podcast. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Pastor Rick Anderson, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet Amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Let your kingdom Lead on, O God of mine.